Welcome to the somewhat annual Tyndall Lake Cabin Retreat, uh, which um, is difficult to categorize. As I say, it's a bit of the uh, the outward bound of meditation retreats. We actually think of it as inward bound. And, uh, I uh, ordained in the forest tradition, so I've always considered it a good idea to get people out into the forest. Uh, if you're uh, always in nice, comfortable circumstances, then um, in terms of med- development of meditation, or more broadly speaking, development of the heart, then um, you know it's not just enough. it's not just finding nice, conducive conditions for developing meditation technique. It's far more broad than that. And so coming out to the forest, for example, we have the opportunity to learn from nature. Uh, we have the opportunity to be somewhat out of our comfort zone. And uh, that's a good thing. And that's very much part of the way the, the forest tradition you know, is structured and very much part of the way the forest masters uh, would teach. <clears throat> yeah, maybe just wait outside if you can hear. Uh-huh. So to make a retreat like this possible, um, it takes the hard work of many people. And just to start the retreat with a bit of gratitude uh, for those people who have put a lot of work uh, to bring it to this stage. Uh, For example, Becca and Fred, who will be managing this retreat, they've done an excellent job, really. Uh, Just uh, a very well-organized and... I think it's probably put a lot of hours into it, you know, over the uh, past few months or the past year, and uh, you know the you know, the retreat wouldn't happen, you know, if there wasn't people like like Becca and Fred uh, to who take that on. <clears throat> um, Brent uh, is organizing the kitchen, so uh, that's a, a huge offering as well, you know, and. Uh, for those people who organize all the food, and that looks to be, uh, again, very well organized this year. Uh, so big thanks to, to both uh, Brent, but also um, many people at Common Ground uh, cooked things for the retreat. Many people who didn't, uh, um, haven't been able to actually come on a retreat have supported it. Uh, the list of people on the board who have cooked things for the treat and offered food you know, is very long. There's probably 20 names on there. Uh, so the, a lot of people have, have invested their generosity and their service to make it possible for us to come and have this opportunity. And that's great. That, that shows that a wide spectrum of people value what we're doing here. And um, in a sense, it's a bit like you know, if you're a monk or a nun, and people are offering things to support your lifestyle, the best thing you can do to repay them is to really put your heart into it. You put your heart into the meditation, put your heart into everything that we do over the next week. Just put your heart into, into practicing the Dhamma. And that's the best way to repay uh, all these people who have offered their kindness and support in, in so many ways. Uh, definitely, uh, big thanks goes to Mark, Mark Nunberg. Uh, uh, he is, you know, I think uh, Common Ground is is one of the best meditation centers in the West, best Buddha center in the West, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and you know, partly it's due to the hundreds of, of really good people who go there. Um, but in large part, it is due to Mark, you know, who can um, kind of um, organize organize things in a way which which brings together so many uh, high quality people. And uh, you know, if it wasn't for Mark's um, attention to detail and thoroughness and, and ongoing dedication and just general reliability, and and uh, and he's just the nicest guy as well. Uh, you know, none of this would be possible either. So, big thanks to Mark Nunberg and, and the whole Common Ground community. Uh, thanks to 
um, people who have come up early to help out. Uh, Jerry drove me up on Tuesday and he's, he did a lot of work before uh, most of us arrived. Um, so that's, that's really helpful. Um, uh, Jane Kirsten came up for uh, just to do work and uh, they left this morning. You know, they didn't even do the retreat. At least Jerry gets to do part of the retreat. You know, but yeah, it was amazing. You know, they come up here just to come and do forest work, uh, lopping, tree, tree clearing, um, you know, just to make it easier uh, for us uh, as, a, as a service. So uh, that kind of uh, spirit of generosity is really impressive. And, and you know, as, uh, as we start the re- retreat and as we continue on in the retreat, sending metta to those people is, is what we call kind of sharing merit or um, a way of um, kind of sharing the good karma from our efforts with all those people who have made it possible. I mean, you can never actually give your good karma to anyone else uh, or your bad karma, not that they would want it, but, um, but the actual process of bringing up a sense of gratitude, appreciation, does uh, have a positive effect both on us, but also, you know, mind's very pos- powerful. So when we, when we spread thoughts of gratitude and, and loving kindness to all the people who have made this retreat possible, then that, uh, I, I certainly believe, that uh, reaches their heart in a direct way as well. Um, one of the people who <clears throat> uh, this retreat uh, would not be possible, you know, for the for this person's were it not for this person's existence is uh, John Tyndall. So we're uh, uh, currently at the Tyndall family lake cabin, and um, about half the lake is populated by by his relatives. <laughs> and for those of you who who know John, you know he's a special guy. And for those of you who haven't gotten to know him yet. Um, he's, uh, he's a fascinating man. He's learned. He's uh, curious about life. He's got depth to him. And maybe most of all, he's got a really good sense of humor. And so it's always a treat for me uh, to come up and spend time with him. And uh, John and my father have been friends for 50 years. So we have a long-standing relationship. Uh, John, if you would like to, to yes. greet the group, please feel free to say a few words. Well, I would like to welcome you to this little spot in the Northwoods. Um, I recognize many of you, and some of you, some of you are new. Um, this is indeed a, a, a wonderful spot in the Northwoods. Um, and I feel lucky that I'm associated with it. Um, my family and my father and mother bought that little cabin down there uh, in the early 60s. And um, <clears throat> it was fairly lucky because it had been owned by a sort of an old man in the woods for many years and it just happened to come on the market. My dad was smart enough to get it. and. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I feel it as a uh, sort of a, uh, a heritage. Uh, uh, my relatives um, are um, uh, St. Olaf people, and they're St. Olaf people all the way down the lake. Um, and there's nothing on that side of the lake. That's Chippewa National Forest over there. Um, so it's really a, 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 a special kind of a place. Um, and um, uh, I, I, I feel lucky and blessed to, to uh, be able to still maintain it. Um, that old cabin, by the time I was able to come out and spend time here, had really uh, been taken over by uh, the rodents. So I started about 12 years ago to build this, and... Uh, and then uh, Shandako came to visit me one summer, and uh, he really liked it here. 
And we had a wonderful time, and he mentioned, whoa, this would be fun to come and spend time here. And somehow the, the thought came that it would be interesting to lead a meditation group and got talk to Mark, and we did the first year. And it seems like every year we've had some sort of meteorological challenge. Um, but we've made it through, uh, and uh, uh, with storm windows, uh, which you don't see, but will be quickly put up if there's a, a west wind and a storm. Um, and I, I uh, uh, feel uh, that this is uh, one way that I can sort of uh, give back the blessings that have been given to me. And very selfishly, to be honest with you, uh, a way that I can just kind of hang out with John Nicole, to be honest with you, because he's one of my uh, favorite people in the world. And um, so, welcome to the Tyndall uh, Woods, and uh, uh, please enjoy your uh, time here, and uh, uh, thank you for coming. Okay, thanks, John. Uh, Every retreat that we have here seems to have its uh, own theme, and we never know what the theme is going to be until it actually happens. Uh, Last year, on on the drive up, uh, the day before the retreat, uh, the manager took me out to a Chinese restaurant, and there was a fortune cookie, and the fortune inside then became the theme for the retreat. And uh, this year... Uh, theme for retreat is fun meter. <laughs> fun meters. These uh, like to please feel free to uh, express your fun meter. Now, we don't actually have enough to go all around for everybody, but right now my fun meter is, is uh, set on equanimity. Because <laughs> right. I'm really trying to practice equanimity. Um, but there are occasions where it slips into the into the red, and uh, I will try to keep it out of the blue. But I'll be honest, you know, if it slips into the blue. Um, but I uh, just want to warn you that Becca and Fred also have fun meters. So if they're looking at you and they they move their dial into the blue, <laughs> you know, that then you better you better consider your behavior. What have you been doing? So oh. Becca's not having fun when she's looking at me. <laughs> what have I done? <clears throat> what have I done? But, uh, you know, we're keeping silence here, so instead of uh, speaking, you can just, you know, adjust your fun meter. Uh, you, you, have, you know, someone you know, having a good meditation, just kind of crank it over. And uh, um, at this time, I would like to invite Becca. Uh, and Fred to uh, express your your fun meter and uh, maybe go into a few of the housekeeping details and we'll talk about that and then when that's finished we'll continue on with talking about the retreat in general. So coming out to the forest is an opportunity to have many teachers. There's a reason why the Buddha encouraged his his followers who were sincere in their meditation to go out into the forest, go out into the mountains, find places of seclusion, uh, develop meditation with diligence. There is something special about being in natural environments. Once you're fully enlightened, then uh, the external environment doesn't really make a difference whatever you see whatever you hear it's just seeing it's just hearing and of course we can learn something from every situation you know if you're in if you're in the middle of a big city or or very busy uh time obviously we want to try to learn something from every situation every day but for the the skill of developing meditation and allowing the mind to to calm down to a place where we can get some clarity on our own life 
and allow our natural insight to begin to arise to the surface, then a natural environment such as this does uh, assist the process. Any help that we can get is, uh, is much appreciated. So, you know, being here by the lake, there's just a natural uh, peace uh, with this lake. And, and being here in the forest, uh, the trees add a certain um, energy or they create a certain environmental atmosphere. So generally being close to nature is, uh, is a way that uh, can assist the process of relaxing, um, developing that side of the meditation which is serene and tranquil. But also being in nature will confront us as well. When the weather is beautiful, when the temperature is nice, when the sun's out and the mosquitoes are uh, minimal, then it's very conducive to you know, relaxation and peace. But nature is a lot more than that. You know? Nature, life is a lot more than that. Um, in the years that we've done this retreat, we've experienced a wide range of weather conditions, a wide range of uh, experiences in the environment. So it's not always sunny. Right? Um, it's not always the perfect temperature. Sometimes it's way too cold, surprisingly cold. We've had some times on the retreat where we're all bundled up here and uh, we're all thinking, isn't this supposed to be summer? And other times on the retreat where it's just um, rained and rained, I, I think we, we created some energetic um, uh, traction to all the rain clouds for a whole week in past years where they were just I'll come and focus, and then, and uh, and that was a challenge for some people, for other people not. For some people, just being out, outside, uh, with very thin walls, you know, just thin nylon walls, is already a challenge. You know, just to see what that brings up for, for some people, you know, it it doesn't bring up much except a, a sense of being happy and content and loving being out in nature. For other people. It can bring up sense of, well, you don't really know what's on the other side of that little thin wall. It could be, could be a bear. There are bears that wander through here occasionally. Um, there are wolves in the area, um, although so far we have a very low uh, attrition rate for wolf, um, <laughs> wolf victims. Um, so, so I just want to reassure you, so far no one's actually been eaten uh, by a wolf. So... Uh, rest peacefully. But it's interesting just to see what it brings up. You know, nature can, it's not just being out in nature, oh, it's peaceful, it's wonderful. Uh, It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more, it's a lot more deep, it's a lot more balanced and well-rounded. And sometimes it gives us what we want and sometimes it doesn't. So it's good to watch the mind whenever, uh, when we get what we want and a feeling of contentment arises and it's like, oh, what a beautiful evening, it's still, it's quiet, how wonderful. Um, you know, just remember, well, that's, that's uh, a situation that is dependent on causes and conditions and it will change. At any moment, a storm could come in and the temperature could change. Uh, finally, when it's not too cold, it could be too hot. It end up being too hot and then we start dreaming about, oh, last year it was so nice and cool. <laughs> so it's interesting, you know, just to watch the mind around weather. Uh, because, you know, it, even if it's perfect, we can find fault with it. <laughs> or it will change. And uh, uh, it, it, it's a good uh, mirror for our mind. The environment is a good mirror for our mind. And it's good to be pushed out of your comfort zone a little bit, right? I mean, if you have a retreat in uh, a nice, comfy, five-star meditation center uh, that, uh, you know, everything's very uh, carefully designed not to ruffle, not to ruffle anybody. Uh, The diet is carefully designed not to ruffle anyone who might have any, even the most remote allergies. Uh, the, The... 
the beds are comfortable, uh, uh, the bathrooms are convenient, everything's quite convenient. And, you know, that can be used to great effect. But it can also have a, a bit of a falsity around it in the sense that, well, life's not always going to be that way. You know, and uh, certainly, you know, when, when we ordain in the forest tradition, it's not like we go into a monastery and uh, it's not like we don't, the monasteries are designed to bring our defilements to the surface. Yeah, and so and give us the opportunity to work with them. They're designed to, yes, to, to to have a certain amount of tranquility and focus, and and that's one aspect to it. But uh, forest monasteries are designed to get you out there and and uh, confront you, you know, confront all of us with um, what's limiting our enlightenment what what is limiting a deeper sense of happiness a deeper sense of inner peace what is it that's getting in the way and there may be a whole host of of fears or insecurities or anxieties that you know when everything is uh, controlled to a certain degree they don't come up you know if you're good at life if, if you're good at 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 um, in the world you can kind of you kind of arrange life so that, uh, oh, well, this brings up happiness, and this brings up happiness, and this brings up happiness, and kind of keep it under wraps, you know. But uh, there's a certain amount of control involved in that, and even that control is, is tenuous and, and subject to change, and sometimes it doesn't go the way we want, but, and, and that effort that it takes to kind of keep everything just right, you know, is already a, a subtle form of, of suffering. But... Uh, it's a different type of peace or happiness that comes from, hey, whatever happens, I'm okay with it. You know, if the sun's shining, I love it. It's wonderful. If the if uh, if you know if the sun's shining, the meter goes into the red. Gay. If, uh, but if you notice, you know, then when we get a cold, rainy day and your fun meter is way over in the blue, then then it's good to check. Well, where where. <laughs> Am I that much of a slave to these external conditions? Uh, you know, is it possible to to kind of keep it balanced no matter what happens, so that when when the sun's out, it's peaceful, and when it rains, no problem, it's peaceful. And um, when we get what we want, it's very nice. If we don't get what we want, it's no problem. And uh, to reach that stage. Uh, we we actually need situations in life to push our buttons a little bit, uh, to to expand our areas of where we feel comfortable, so that we don't end up trapped in a prison of our own making. And uh, you know, I'm comfortable within this, but you know, don't rock the boat, type of uh, of a feeling. And uh, and there's a deeper level of happiness possible, where where we, we just have to uh, be at peace with whatever happens. The masters in the forest tradition would intentionally do this, so uh, sometimes it, it's helpful to, to be in a place where there's a teacher who is kind of pushing people a little bit further uh, than they would go themselves. And Ajahn Chah was probably one of the ones who would do that the most and have a good, really good time at it as well. Um, because he was so highly respected and loved, um, he could get away with a lot. He could really intentionally... Um, he would know, you know what's good for people, but what's good for them may not be what they want. And um, so, you know, when someone was really getting comfortable uh, in their own... Pra- you know, comfortable in a particular... A mode of practice in the monastery, he might just say, okay, you've got 30 minutes, pack your gear, you're heading off to this branch monastery, and no no notice. And so suddenly, you know, your life is kind of thrown up. So, so um, he was very good at, at um, keeping people realistic. You know, at any moment, something could change. Yeah, and you had to be able to be at peace with that. Uh, you might... Uh, might start to get comfortable in a certain area, and he would see that, and he would uh, 
try to throw you a bit of a curveball uh, by changing something, changing the schedule, um, suddenly asking you to do physical work instead of meditation, and then see what that does to your mind. Um, so it wasn't just a practice of developing a meditation technique and you just keep at it and keep at it. It was a whole lifestyle, uh, a whole way of training, because developing just uh, a meditation technique, even if, as, even if the technique is, is perfect, uh, technique is great and the intention is great and the effort is great, it's still difficult not to have blind spots. Right? Uh, whenever we practice with ourselves, uh, um, it, it's just in my experience seeing people over you know, the last few decades, it's inevitable uh, that, that we have blind spots. And by their very nature, you know, we're deluded in certain areas and we don't see them. Uh, so that's why it's very helpful to have either either teachers or, or friends, good friends in the Dhamma, who can help point those out. Uh, sometimes uh, just other people in community, you know, are mirrors for us. So on this retreat, um, you know, if someone, if you find someone kind of irritating, then take that as a mirror. You know, that means we're projecting on something, we're projecting something on them, uh, which is coming from our own mind. You know? Or if we find someone you know, whatever we project on other people, it's coming from our own mind. So that's an opportunity uh, to look at our own mind, learn something about ourselves. And of course the environment can push us a bit too. Uh, we've, <laughs> the first year that we are here, um, people didn't really know what they were getting themselves into. And on top of everything else, uh, we had this huge storm come in one night. And, you know, there's amazing winds. Uh, I mean, Mark was on that retreat. He says that retreat, during that night, you know, his, his tent had got blown by the wind just down right above his face level. And he was just kind of, the tent was totally blown. The wind was so strong and, and never knew if a tree was going to come down on somebody. Fortunately, uh, no one got injured. Um, but there was this apocalyptic uh, uh, lightning show. You know, it was just like, oh, this is it, the end of the world, mm -hmm. you know, a feeling. And, um, and a lot of people felt some primal fear coming up. It was interesting to see. Uh, you know, it was definitely not what they expected. It wasn't even part of the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't even intended, it, but, you know, nature's like that. Nature can be our teacher. It just gives us uh, uh, something that we don't expect, and uh, it can be in, suddenly intense. And then uh, if fear starts coming up, then perfect, great. What are we afraid of? Am I afraid of death? Am I afraid of discomfort? Am I afraid of getting wet? Um, what is it? Am I afraid of slowly dying while the wolf chews me to death? What is it exactly? Pinpoint it, and then, and then, you know, really look at it. You know, if it's some fears are quite irrational. If we if we pinpoint what it is, we say, oh well, actually, it's quite a low probability that we're going to be slowly gnawed to death by a wolf, and you can just let it go. Uh, other fears are maybe very deeply held, like fear of death, but that's a perfect opportunity to look into that. I mean, what is more natural than death? You look around the whole place and there's trees growing and there's trees dying. There's dead trees everywhere. And right now we're trees that are growing. Someday uh, we're going to be a dead tree. <laughs> it's one of the chants go that we regularly chant, you know, once the body's dead, it's, it's um, useless, like a, a rotten log. You know? It's not even like a, a good log, you know, a good log you can make into timber, you know, it's useful, but, a, you know, once a body's dead, it's, you can't do anything with it, it's just useless. And, uh, and it's like that, you know, is that an issue? Um, you know, for most, for, for most of us, it's a good thing to look into. And this is the perfect time to do it, 
So if you're in nature, life and death is all around us. Um, you know, it's beautiful to to see the deer, and it's great, but there's also a lot of beings around who, who, who kill deers. Um, sometimes the wolves kill the deers, sometimes a human being kills kill the deers. And so there's there's life and death happening all around us. It's not, you know, it's not all just, oh, isn't it cute being out in nature? Oh, it's not, you know, real forest practice is not, it's not airy-fairy. It's not like just going out in nature and oh, it's all oh, peaceful. But the reality of nature is that in, in, it encompasses the whole range of life, um, both the beautiful and sometimes the, that which is difficult to look at. So death's a good one uh, to look into, and and you know we create a very safe container uh, during this time. Often in daily life, it's not conducive to look into the more uh, difficult or deep uh, aspects of our lives that we we know are important. But you know it's when when we're busy doing this and that, and, and you know you're working and shopping and cooking and then looking after family, and you know it's it's uh, it's often difficult to to really find time to look deeply, but you know we set aside a time like this. Uh, the people are safe. You don't have to worry about the people. Even John is safe. You don't, you don't have to worry about John. Um, Reber, his cousin, is sometimes safe, <laughs> but but he's got a good sense of humor too. Um, so the people are safe. Um, the supportive, the place is safe, you know, there's nothing going to be coming in and attacking us except for the wolves and, 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 the, and the lightning strikes. But, <laughs> but other than that, everything's safe. And, um, put, your, put your meters up into the red. <laughs> off, off the charts. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a perfect opportunity to just just see what's going to happen, right? And and uh, you know it's you it's safe to allow things to come to the surface. You don't have to force them to come to the surface or try to get deep. You know, just just relax. You know, we come from busy lives, uh, very full lives. Even if it's good things that we're doing. Uh, it's full and often very, very busy. So just come, just, just sit, just relax, uh, and just al- allow the beauty of simplicity to sink in a bit. Because right? we're going to be living a fairly simple life, very repetitive. Every each day is pretty similar uh, to the previous day and the following day. So, um, so it gives us an opportunity to really relax into the schedule. You know, and uh, find some freedom you know, within that, within that simplicity. Uh, now, having said that, some, you know, some relaxing doesn't mean we're on vacation. There's a different type of thing where you know, we may associate relaxing to, um, yeah, well, let's, let's go down to the lakeshore and just you know, crash out for a couple of hours and say, oh, that was really peaceful. I like meditation retreats. <laughs> and or sometimes we need to do that. You know, if we're stressed out, initially we, we might just need some physical rest. Uh, the body might just need to, to catch up a bit. But um, the, say, the, the freedom that we're talking about is something, uh, is more than that. It also entails and requires some effort. It requires us to, to give. Uh, of ourselves, to give uh, of our time, um, to give our energy, to and definitely to give of our sincerity. We, you know, basically, we'll get out of a retreat what we put into it, and um, it doesn't mean that you kind of have to. I mean, don't go into a retreat with a sense of, oh, I'm really going to do it this time. You know, sotapanna or bust. You know, stream entry or, or, you know, definitely seven days, this is it, I'm ready. And then that can, that can uh, actually reinforce a sense of ego or sense of self. Um, or it can, um, if we're too 
forceful about what we think a retreat is going to be or what we're what we think we're going to experience then that can actually block what is right in front of our face right this retreat won't be like the last one you know it will be different than the next one and you don't know what's going to come up so don't don't assume that it's going to be this way or that way or or assume that it's going to be tough or assume that it's going to be blissful could be any of that and it's best just to go in with a sense of no expectations. Whatever happens is fine. And our, our responsibility then is, is, one, you know, follow the schedule, but then while we're within the schedule, really, you know, just really try to develop that continuity of mindfulness, right? Being present, relaxed, and alert. So that's the balance. You know, when we try to strike a balance, it's, we want to be relaxed, but not so relaxed that we're dozing off, drifting off, um, or just crashing out. And we don't want to be so vigilant that we get stressed. But being alert and attentive and putting energy into that uh, clarity of attention is essential. And that does take some effort. Every time the mind wanders off, okay, that's fine, you know. You know, what would we expect leading busy lives? The mind wanders off a bit, but then make the effort, bring it back, keep it going, try to keep that, that clarity of attention uh, going, you know, from the time we get up in the morning until the time we go to bed at night. So uh, it's not just sitting meditation and walking meditation, but also when we're eating, that's a very important time to pay attention to that whole process. When you're uh, in that luxurious new shower, you know, instead of just getting lost in oh, wow, this is so luxurious compared to last year. And you think, well, just pay attention to sensations. What does it feel like? Be mindful of the body. Uh, whatever we're doing, uh, any activity, uh, the chores time, again, use it as a time of meditation where you're just, you know, you're with your body, you're in your body, you're, you're there for every movement of your arms and your legs. Uh, when you're brushing your teeth, this is John's favorite meditation, you know, brushing your teeth, Know, be there, present, instead of daydreaming. Even that much, you know, will, is a consistent practice, which will gradually develop momentum. So, there's no clear-cut definitions of this is practice and this isn't practice. Everything is an opportunity for developing calm, developing wholesome qualities of mind, developing insight, and really, it's just up to us to um, make the full use of this opportunity. I think um, Becca talked a bit about the silence, and uh, again, it's, it's, it is very helpful to to bring the attention inward and see how few words you can speak over the next week, right? Um, if the wolves are attacking, it's okay <laughs> to say wolf, you know, but, but other than that, please don't cry wolf. <laughs> and uh, it can be tempting, I know, to, uh, you know, to kind of say a little word here, make a joke there, or, you know, while you're working, kind of, it just gets extended from something more essential to something which is maybe not so essential to, hey, what did you do last week? Or how did you get involved with meditation? <laughs> and, you know, it's just so easy to fall into the, that groove, right? So it takes a concerted effort to say, okay, well, let's see if I can just, just bring the attention inward. Um, I mean, talking is a whole practice in itself, and uh, and generally, I, I really encourage um, an even way uh, of relating to speech. So it's not like motor mouth, and then the retreat starts in, in seven days of silence, and then the dam breaks. You know, as soon as the last bell goes, the dam breaks, and and uh, it's just a huge amount of of talking again. I say this every year at the end of the retreat, you know, take it slowly. No one listens to me, but, uh, so I'll say it now at the beginning of the retreat. <laughs> so, um, 
uh, what we say is definitely karma that affects our uh, affects our life, right? And the more sensitive that we become in meditation, then the the greater degree that what we say will uh, will have an effect on us, uh, and and it will have effect on other people as well. So. Um, the human, the human ear is just so attuned to picking up on human voices, right? So if, if like some people are talking over there, uh, it it uh, generally is it feels more disturbing than the sound of the birds or the sound of the wind and the trees, whatever. And we're just kind of uh, drawn to that. So a way of keeping silence is also a way of uh, showing kindness and consideration to the other people on the retreat. And bringing a sense of silence inward, I mean, that's when contemplation really can kick in a bit, is when you start to feel a, a sense of inner quietude, you know, a sense of uh, the heart really becomes quiet and, and still. And even if you can get a taste of that, you know, when, when the, the mind and the heart just kind of just go quiet and, and things become more clear, Right? That is really assisted by not verbally speaking. The inner quietude is, is uh, uh, can be it's fragile initially, and it can be shaken, you know, by speaking or, or the, the attention going out. So it's okay to go through this whole retreat and you know um, spread metta to other people, but you don't have to. You, there's no obligation to engage them socially. Uh, having a sense of humor is really important, but a lot of the jokes can wait till after the retreat. That's okay. Or um, uh, you can just, uh, if you're feeling really good, you know, you just borrow Fred and Becca's fun meter and express it on the dial. You know, I say this. In jest, but but it's really important that you enjoy the process. You know, the process is sometimes peaceful, and other times it's painful. Uh, sometimes um, the process is, you know, feels like we're making progress and uh, is encouraging. Other times it can feel like this is this is hopeless. You know, I've been meditating all these years, and look at my mind. You know, good thing other people can't see my mind. <laughs> that type of thought. And just know that those thoughts are just thoughts. And, and it doesn't mean we're, we're doing anything wrong. It, you know, we can, uh, we can check our effort. Are we putting forth effort in the right way? Are we, are we, are we putting forth effort into mindfulness? You know, right mindfulness, right samadhi. Uh, are, are, we, are we doing things in that way? But don't expect that it's always going to be great because sometimes it's actually the when when we you know, reach a new layer and uh, the the process is painful uh, or ego confronting right sometimes we have to admit things to ourselves or see you know, see ourselves in a way which it, uh, doesn't build our ego, but actually starts to dissolve it a bit. Um, that can almost be threatening in some ways, but it's okay. Just remember you're in a very safe environment, and it's good to, good to allow yourself to go into that. As a general standard of morality or ethical behavior for the retreat, then we ask everyone to keep the eight precepts. I'll just say a, a few words on the eight precepts, and then we can formally take the eight precepts to start the retreat. And then after that, uh, we'll start keeping silence uh, for the next week. So now the, the first precept is not intentionally harming any other living being. And this is a way of living non-violently in the world. And it's a very powerful statement when there's so much violence in the world to 
uh, even if you just say, well, I keep the first precept, it's uh, life-changing. And it would be world-changing if everyone did it. Imagine, imagine if, if uh, no one intentionally killed other human beings. Uh, that would be world-changing. Uh, so there is something we can do to, to help the world. You know, we can stop intentionally killing living beings. And where this particularly might come up uh, is with mosquitoes, deer flies. It can just be a um, habitual reaction. You know, if you're feeling something uncomfortable, uh, being bitten, you know, suddenly you feel a, a, a deer fly digging into your neck and you just you want to go like that or you don't even think about it, then it just means that our mindfulness isn't fast enough yet. And so try to catch it. Try to catch the, the reaction, you know, because you don't, there's not much time to prepare. You know, suddenly you're being bit by uh, a mosquito or, or a fly, and, and then and just watch that tendency to, to want to be harmful towards it. I mean, it's just doing its thing. It's not, it doesn't have a personal grudge against us. <laughs> mosquitoes are not out to get us personally. Um, they're just being mosquitoes, and so you know we can just uh, you know brush them away. A practical tri- trick uh, for your huts or for your tents is that if you have a an empty bottle with a screw on lid, then if a mosquito gets into your tent, you can capture it, capture them in the bottle, put the lid on, and then take them outside and release them. That's uh, something that I do regularly because no matter how high, hard I try, I'm always getting mosquitoes coming in the tent and then have to deal with them non-violently and let them escape. Uh, second precept is not intentionally uh, stealing, uh, as it's phrased, not taking things which are, are not given freely to us. Uh, Usually this doesn't come up too much, but generally it's another way of respecting other people's property, uh, space, things, possessions, showing respect towards other people. It may come up somewhat uh, um, here in John's cabin, not that we would uh, steal anything, but just um, be considerate um, that this is actually John's home. You know, It's not a professional uh, meditation retreat, or at least it's his home for a few months of the year. And, um, you know, if you want to, to use, use something that you're not sure if it belongs to common ground or if it belongs to John, um, but just ask John or ask the managers uh, silently. You know, you can probably just say, you know, so just be creative with your hand language and, and, or write a note and say, it's okay if I use this, etc. Third precept is about... Uh, um, responsible sexual behavior um, probably won't come up on this retreat. Uh, if it does, definitely talk to Becca. What? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> She'll, she's a trained professional. <laughs> she'll, she'll, she'll handle any problems with the third precept. Uh, but, but the third precept on retreat means that um, no sexual activity at all, which even involves um, being alone. Okay, so the fourth precept is uh, not, uh, not lying. Again, it's a precept around speech. And again, it comes back to a sense of honesty. Try, if, we, if we respect the truth, if, the, you know, if, we're, if our intention, our deep intention is to, is to understand what's, what the truth of the world, or the way things are, then then we try to make our speech more and more in line with the way things are or truth. So I have a real respect for truth, and and then that manifests itself in in not lying or always. You know, uh, doesn't mean you always have to say everything that's true, um, but it it does mean not to intentionally lie. But of course, everyone's keeping silence, so don't worry about that for the next seven days, should take care of itself. Fifth precept is not taking intoxicants. Again, shouldn't really come up. Um, uh, uh, yeah, maybe I'll, as I look over to my right, I see John's 
got three bottles of liquor in the, <laughs> in the window of the meditation hall. Uh, looks like Harvey's Bristol Cream. Uh, is that some rum on the rum? I can't, can't tell. Anyways, no, we don't. Um, anyway, so that's off limits, okay? <laughs> that's, that's in John's room, and it's behind the curtain, so it's uh, uh, off limits for the retreat, please. Besides, you know, you work so hard to develop clarity of mind, why would you want to do anything which would reduce clarity, you know, when it's, when it's so beneficial? And, you know, it's hard work, you know, you work hard. Uh, to develop this continuity of mindfulness. And then um, it's like doing harm to oneself by doing something which intentionally clouds the mind. So that's why that, that precept is important. Uh, the sixth precept is um, just eating in, the, in between dawn and midday, which helps to simplify life. Nothing evil or harmful really about eating in the evening. It, it's just that that becomes a, uh, it's a long-standing tradition uh, to you know finish the eating in, in one part of the day, and you know life just gets there's a lot of complications around meals. I mean, if you ask if you have any doubt about that, ask the kitchen manager. You know, uh, the more meals, the more complication, the more difficulties, and also when, after we've eaten, generally meditation is not clear, and it's easy to fall asleep. So you have the, the meals in the morning, and then once digestion is finished, you've got all afternoon, the remaining afternoon and the evening, uh, where the body generally feels light. Uh, there's, uh, it's just you know, in, in, in good shape uh, for developing clarity and meditation. Uh, the next precept, seventh, seventh precept, has to do with uh, entertainment. Uh, voluntarily refraining from entertainment for a period of time. Again, there's nothing um, necessarily immoral about listening to music or dancing and all of that um, within certain bounds. Um, but on a meditation retreat, then it's just not conducive to the general focusing of attention in the atmosphere. Uh, also with that, uh, we don't adorn our bodies, uh, so there's no need to wear makeup, jewelry, all of that. Uh, we don't, um, I mean, it's, it's good to look after the body, but we don't have to try to beautify the body. You know, there's no pressure to, to try to look our best or to try to look anything more than what we normally just naturally look like. Uh, so uh, we can just take the attention away. Um, you know, the, the, the inclination of the mind that wants to try to make the body uh, look adorned and attractive. Just don't have to worry about that on meditation retreat. It's just not an issue. Uh, and so that's, that's part of that precept. Final precept is not sleeping on high and luxurious beds. So here you are, if you're sleeping in a, a tent on the forest floor, then... Uh, you're doing a great job following that precept. If there are, uh, you know, if you find that you just can't get a good night's sleep, uh, you know, and, and sometimes it is a real challenge to, to, to sleep. It's one of the challenges we might face being out here is, is getting a good night's sleep on uneven ground, um, different noises, new places. Uh, I mean, for the last three nights, I haven't slept all that well in my tent, so you know, I, I, I know how it feels. But then uh, get used to it. But if you really find it's a challenge, there is actually uh, a double bed available in uh, one of the cabins you know, that can be used for uh, if someone needs it. Okay, uh, so that uh, that takes us to formally requesting the eight precepts. Would you... Does everybody have a chat book? Do you need one, Eric? 
it on page 21? And if people can't see, if you can't have difficulty reading, we, we can turn the lights on. <clears throat> so going through the process of uh, formally taking the eight precepts, you know, you don't really need to do it, but like any ritual or ceremony, even small ones, it can help to... Uh, be a reminder or allow it to go a bit more deeply into consciousness, uh, be a, a bit more of a, a real commitment you know, when we chant it and uh, um, you know, just bring it a bit more deeply into our hearts. So typically, um, someone who wanted to take the eight precepts would formally request it. Uh, so we'll go ahead and, and we'll follow this um, uh, to start with. You would, you would uh, bow three times, and then, uh, and then sit with your hands in Anjali, with the palms together. Does anybody need the lights on, or can you read okay? Okay. Okay, so um, please bow three times. holding the hands in, in Anjali. Why don't we do it as a call and response, uh, just so we make it a bit easier. So say, please repeat after me. Mayang Bhante Mayang Bhante Ti Sarane Nasaha Ti Sarane Nasaha Ata Silani Achama Mayang Bhante Mayang Bhante Di Sarane Nasaha Di Sarane Nasaha Ata Silani Achama Ata Silani Mayang Bhante Mayang Bhante Di Sarane Nasaha Ata Silani Achama Ata Silani Achama Okay, then uh, why don't we the Namotasa Bhagavato, you probably know that well enough that we can do that together. So uh, we'll do that three times. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa and then taking the three refuges in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Buddhang Sarnam Gachami, Dhammang Sarnam Gachami, Sangham Sarnam Gachami, Dutiyam Vim Buddhang Sarnam Gachami, Dutiyam Vim Dhammang Sarnam Gachami, Dutiyampi Sangham Saranam Gachami Dutiyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Dutiyampi Dhamman Saranam Gachami Dutiyampi Sangham Saranam Gachami Okay, so then I would say, uh, just alone, Okay. Uh, 
Now I'll repeat the eight precepts to be on uh, the bottom of page 29. And then you repeat that after me. Oh, bottom of page 23, sorry. Panati pata viramani sikapadang samadhyami Panati pata viramani sikapadang samadhyami Adinadana viramani sikapadang samadhyami Adinadana viramani sikapadang samadhyami Brahmacharya Viramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Brahmacharya Viramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Musawada Viramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Musawada Viramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Sura Merayamaja Pamadatana, where Amani Sikapadang Samadiami. Sura Merayamaja Pamadatana, where Amani Sikapadang Samadiami. We call a bojana, where Amani Sikapadang Samadiami. Vikala Bhujana Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Nachagita Vadita Isukadasana Malaganda Vilapana Dharana Vibhusanatana Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Uchasayana Mahasayana Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami and then you uh, say say what's written there three times, follow that. <laughs> Imaniyata sikapadani samadhyami Imaniyata sikapadani samadhyami Imaniyata sikapadani silena sukhatinyande silena boka sampada silena niputinyande tasma silang visotaye Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Okay, that brings us to the end of the orientation and introduction. Now, do we need to designate a morning bell ringer before 4.30 in the morning? That's Daniel, who just arrived. Yeah. <laughs> That's punishment for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's the good. last joke you gave me, John, on the list. Look, look, yeah, if you don't arrive on time, you get to be the morning bell ringer. I do it. Great. Good spirit, Daniel. Way to go. Um, any other odds and ends? Before we wrap it up, it's the last chance to ask questions uh, verbally. Yes? Um, I did not understand the part I knew about walking meditation and taking somebody else's place. Where is walking meditation? All right. Okay. So, 
Uh, tomorrow I'll explain a bit about walking meditation in general, um, but we go out and we find a relatively level and straight area to, to meditate walking backwards and forwards. And it's helpful if we go to the same place each time, it just makes it simpler. You know, if you find a good spot and then uh, just go to there every time, otherwise it's confusing. <laughs> or if someone, people, people might get, there might be wholesome attachment arising. You know, you've kind of, someone's been walking on this particular area and they've, they, you know, they've already attained the third level of enlightenment and they're just waiting for that last little bit and, and uh, you don't want to interrupt their momentum. So, How many people have never done a re- meditation retreat before? Okay, good for you for being intrepid. Um, if you have any any questions specific to that, you know, new not just to being here, but new to any form of meditation retreat, please please come and, and feel free to, to see me either right now after we meet or or in an interview. Any other questions? Um, just oh. let me know if you have any questions about your yogi job. Huh? Come to me and, afterwards. Okay. Sorry, what's your name? Mark. Mark? Just wanted to clarify if there's a sign-up for the interview. Um, we don't have it a sign-up sheet yet, but oh, once we get into the retreat, then yeah. put together one. We we'll usually usually buy it second second day or, or so. maybe not tomorrow, but the day after that we can start having interviews. But if you have something come up that you really need to speak to me or Becca or Fred, you know, don't be shy. It's okay. Anything else? Okay then. I wish you a very beneficial retreat. I won't just wish you a, a peaceful retreat or a happy retreat, but just with no expectations, whatever happens, may it be of benefit.